The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Foot First Podiatry. Painful bunions, then it's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. For more information about the Sklar Bunionectomy, visit footfirst.com. And by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. I'm the baby boomer, and I'm the mom. And I'm Jason, freshman at UT Austin, Generation Z, and I'm on-air talent for Texas Student Television and a writer for College Basketball Review. Jason, we have to thank our listeners, because, man, did they download our last episode our mini podcast just blew up it was fantastic so we want to thank everyone who has downloaded the sportscaster and her son from apple podbean wherever you might listen we are available continue to do so and spread the word to family and friends subscribe and rate us as well that is our lifeblood ratings it's how you move up and it's how more listeners find us um we always say that typically we don't get along but jason and i do both share a, a passion for sports it has always been what we have found as a common ground between us and with Jason away at college it's been even better because now we don't just talk sports we kind of talk about everything these days which is has been kind of cool right Jason people always say like when you go away to school your parents become more of your friends instead of like your chaperones and that has definitely been true with between you and dad I think that we relate on a lot more things now Um, I'm definitely able to talk to you guys about a lot more things and yeah you know It's been great. Obviously, I miss being home and I miss being around the family, but there are certainly good aspects of being away other than just getting to do whatever you want. And I'd definitely say one of those is furthering my relationship with both you and Ed. I would also say one of the things with you being away is learning some life lessons. You left for college during a pandemic And then you came home for Christmas break, returned, came home for Valentine's Day weekend, um, and then you returned to a disaster in Texas. Tell us about, tell us all about, Jason, what happened um, in Austin with uh, the the snowstorm knocking out power, water. Um, Give us an update firsthand from what it was like for you. Well, I got very lucky. I came home for a couple of days. Um, for Valentine's Day to see my girlfriend. And I guess that that was more of a good idea for things other than just my relationship. So uh, I came back on Saturday the 13th and on Sunday the 14th, which is Valentine's Day, snowed a couple inches in Austin and all my friends and everybody's putting all over social media pictures in the snow and sledding and it looked great. And, you know, it was like a day or two of that. And then once Tuesday came, um, there, there were power outages all throughout the city and the main water treatment plant in the city had a power outage. So that was kind of what caused the disaster in Austin was most of the city was without power. Then most of the city was there. The entire city was without water. You have people in dorms. Most dorm rooms do not have stoves. So there's no way for a lot of people to boil water. The 
grocery shops, convenience stores were completely ravaged. It seemed like Tuesday through Friday were pretty miserable. I came back on Friday. I was supposed to come back on Thursday, but decided to hold off a day because of the water situation. All the water was turned off um, in my dorm building for a couple of days. So there would have been no way to shower or wash my hands or, or really anything. And came back on Friday and um, just by the grace of God, or when I walked in my dorm room, turned on the sink to see if it would work and the water was back on. So wow. I avoided all the bad parts. Um, when I came back on Friday, it was pretty cold and there was still ice on the ground. And because Texas lacks the infrastructure to deal with snow and ice, um, the ice stays on the ground until it melts. So that was definitely very interesting. The sidewalks were completely covered with ice. It was impossible to walk. You had to walk on the street. From what I heard from my friends at school hours away, uh, it really wasn't all that fun. The sledding seemed cool for a couple of days. And like the shock and the rush of seeing snow, because most people in my school only see snow once every few years and a good amount had never seen snow before. Wow. So I'm sure that was really cool for them. But um, yeah, Austin definitely took a big hit. But as I sit here right now, it's 79 and sunny and everyone's got their water back and all the stores are restocked and the power's back. So um, Texas and Austin in particular really did a nice job of rebounding from a precarious situation. I have to say, here's the parents' perspective of it. Oh my gosh, kids that don't typically do a lot of, um, let's just say, uh, cleaning in their dorm or uh, their apartments when they're away. When I saw the email from your dorm telling us that you should take buckets down and get buckets of snow to use to then flush your toilets with handfuls of snow, I thought, oh, Lord, this cannot be good. This absolutely, I just can't imagine 19-year-old kids and 18-year-old kids doing that. Uh, oh, gosh, just just horrible. Yeah, you know, that was reality for a lot of people in Austin and a lot of college students um, this past week. Um, but as I said, things are looking a lot better here. The weather's amazing. It seems like people have pretty much completely forgotten about it. Class is canceled for several days. Tomorrow's actually my first day back in class. Um, all of my assignments due dates have been pushed back a lot. So it's been nice having a big cushion of time to work on things. So a lot of people were negatively affected by this. A lot of people outside of Austin um, will continue to be affected by this. Um, there's some places still have not regained power. So obviously keep those people in our thoughts. But um, for the most part, at least as a UT student, the snow is well behind me. And everyone seems to have kind of forgotten about it besides a few pictures. All right. Well, let, let's get to some positive talk now. In this episode of the podcast, the last time that Tony La Russa managed the White Sox was 1983, and they were winning ugly. Now, Jason, what do you think we should expect in 2021 with Tony La Russa managing the White Sox? Well, Vegas is telling us to expect Great things. The White Sox have the second highest projected win total in the American League behind the Yankees. Um, a couple other metrics and projections have been very mixed, but the odds have been incredible. The White Sox, between Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, and Dallas Keuchel, have three of the top eight in American League Cy Young Award odds. The White Sox have three of the top ten in American League MVP odds between Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, and I believe it was Aloy Jimenez. 
was towards the back half of the odds, which was pretty surprising to me. Um, no, I think that White Sox fans, for the first time in a long time, have every right to expect nothing short of winning every single game uh, this season. Um, it's going to be a really, really fun season. This team does not have any weaknesses. The rotation is great top to bottom. The bullpen is very strong, especially now that they've signed the best closer in all of baseball in Liam Hendricks. And the lineup is what won them games last year and will continue to win them games this year. The lineup is completely loaded top to bottom. Not even it doesn't even really matter that they only added Adam Eaton as right field was the only bad position last year. Sounds like Andrew Vaughn could be the DH on opening day, which will give White Sox fans a third straight opening day with their top prospects debuting in the lineup. Aloy Jimenez two years ago, Luis Robert last year could be Andrew Vaughn this year. So there's so many reasons to be excited about this White Sox team. And as a lifelong White Sox fan, we really deserve it. We deserve it. It's such an enlightening feeling and such a, it just brings so much joy to think about how baseball season's coming up and like we're actually supposed to be great this year. We can't, it's not like where we can maybe surprise some people or where the roster doesn't look bad. No, the roster looks amazing. The American League is pretty weak. Everything is lining up for the White Sox to shoot for the stars and aim for the moon this year. I love it. Hey, we should bring in a couple of guys who actually know this team better than anyone. Well, I mean, pretty much almost anyone. What do you think? Let's do it. All right, Jason, we got Chuck Garfine and Ryan McGuffey, host of White Sox Talk podcast from NBC Sports Chicago. Some old friends of mine taking some time out of their White Sox coverage at spring training to join us on the sportscaster and her son. Hi, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Good to hear your voice. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God. I miss you guys. I I just miss, like, the (laughs) the side comments, you know, when we're, you know, outside of doing all the interviews and all the (laughs) laughter and the camaraderie. And, uh, I mean, that's that's the best part of, you know, our jobs. But I want to get right into this because I know that you're super busy, Chuck. Uh, You're at spring training right now. Jason and I were just talking about, the last time Tony Larusa managed this team, they were winning ugly. So, what do we call it this year? Winning ugly part do. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's got to be something sexier than that, right? I don't know. Winning, winning uglier. But I, you know, it's funny because I was actually thinking that you've got winning sexy, winning sexy. Ooh. That's what it should be. Yes, yes. I could be the guys, uh, man. <laughs> with your Mahata's music video. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, to that, yeah. <laughs> but I was actually thinking this that there's some winning ugly type players like Adam Eden and Nick Madrigal. I mean, they're, they're going to win the games in some ugly fashion. I think this year, so uh, they they could actually, I could actually see that actually becoming a thing. You know, there's something might something could be in the air with Larusa back. We might get some winning ugly games uh, returning to the south side. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I like where your head is, and we got to come up with something. Maybe it is winning sexy. Ooh, that, I just think yeah. there's so many guys. There's so many guys that care about what they look like, and with social media, and <laughs> and, and you know, we got guys walking up to their own songs now. I, I think it's you know, ugly is in the past, Chuck. It's sexy now. This is all about. This is all about now. Or maybe it's <laughs> just it. maybe it's just winning. Period. <laughs> right. I know. I know. Let me just finally let me ask you a quick question. Then I'm going to let Jason jump in here as well. Um, so. Your your impressions of Tony Larusa because boy, there's just um, 
man, it, it, it could go all over the place. I think we've, we talked it all out before anyone actually got to talk to him. So now that you're in camp with him, what's your impressions? Well, I think there was some shock and, you know, some, yeah, there was some shock when they named him manager. This was not what anybody was expecting. So I think when the decision was made, that had a, happened for a while where you know and there were no games going on so all you could do is think about it and it didn't make sense to a lot of people so and i understand that and it didn't make it sense to us you know i wanted aj hinch to be the manager and they hired Tornalusa. no one saw that coming but now that as time has passed and i've talked to enough players and now that i'm here seeing Larusa and hearing him talk and hearing players talk about him i mean is he was he the perfect fit i can't answer that but I think what Sox fans want to know is, is it going to work with La Russa? And from all indications, the answer that I be getting or that I am getting is yes, is that he knows how to manage. He knows how to run a spring training. He knows how to communicate with players. The players have had conversations with him. Some of them have had long ones. Like Adam Eaton, who talks with him a lot. And they are seeing what he can bring to the table. And... You know, when the games begin, I think that's when you're really going to see his in-game management and how he fills out a lineup and how he operates the bullpen, where you're going to see, you know, Tony La Russa be the guy that I think, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf and company are hoping he'll become. And, you know, it is, but also, he, you know, yeah, he's 76 years old. He wants to win. And so, uh, I think, you know, he, he could have just stayed in, you know, kind of managing retirement, but he's kind of, you know, doing some stuff with his legacy because his, you know, he's already in the Hall of Fame. You're not going to change that, but uh, he's adding to his resume, good or bad. And I think in the end, it'll be good. Jason? Looking at the roster on paper, it's clearly better than last year's. It's probably the most obvious comment of all time to say that Tony LaRussa is a better manager, even with his age, than Ricky Renteria. Um, but the one thing that I would say intrigues me and is maybe the only reason for pessimism going into the year is regardless of how bad or good the White Sox teams were under Renteria, they always had great chemistry. Now, that could have been due in part to the fact that Renteria was a bilingual manager, could connect to the players better, could connect to the clubhouse better. Now, with Tony LaRussa, who everybody loves to criticize that he could be disconnected from the modern days of baseball, that's not even what my question and comment's about. What I worry about, and my question is, um, with the new personalities brought in, you know, Liam Hendricks is one of the most outgoing and um, exuberant pitchers in all of baseball with his celebrations and with his demeanor. Um, Lance Lynn, when the White Sox got him, I watched some interviews, and he's a very, um, very big, powerful presence, both physically and vocally in the clubhouse and on the mound. How is Tony LaRusa going to be able to fit all of these pieces together to give the White Sox a championship chemistry because they already have a championship level roster. I mean, I, I think on that one, it's not really about Tony LaRusha coming in here and, and, and like having a clubhouse conversation about chemistry. He, he's kind of walking into a chemistry that's already, you mentioned, that's already here. And you got to rely on the players to, to police the clubhouse and stuff and let, and let Tony LaRusha be the guy to get involved if and when that time comes, but I don't think that this team needs that guy anymore. I don't think they need the, they don't need, they don't need, you know, the dad, the cop, that person 
to be the guy who gives him all the rules and everything. I think Tony LaRusso actually probably, you know, I'm with Chuck. I, I, I kind of reiterate a lot of the things he said. I was not happy about Tony LaRusso either, but as each day on these Zooms, I'm a little bit more, my eyes are a little bit more open to why he is the right guy or might be the right guy. I don't want to sit there and just deem him the right guy here a couple of days in the spring training, but this mix that they have in terms of clubhouse chemistry, I just think it's the right mix of guys. And, and, and to me, they brought in Tony LaRusso for accountability. Like this is a guy, you're not learning how to win anymore. He knows how to win. And so if he sees something in May or June or August or September that he doesn't want to tolerate or he knows that if it continues that it could lead to an early exit in October, that's why they brought him in. He's the guy that's supposed to take them and get them over the top, not the guy to get them there. So I think that's his role to me is that he's making sure some of these guys that may have gotten away with some stuff in the past, that stuff's nipped in the bud and that this team's, you know, they keep talking about World Series and bust. It's not a media thing. They are going out there. It's the first time in a long time I can remember a Chicago team just kind of putting it out there without even having to ask the question. So that's that's my long-winded answer of what I think Tony LaRusso's ultimate role is. Yeah, and you were talking about Renteria being bilingual. Well, so is Tony LaRusso. He speaks yeah. fluent yep. Spanish. Yep. So, uh, you know, he can talk to all these guys. And he's won three World Series. He's won six pennants. He's been at the you know, playoffs with many teams, many eras. And, you know, I, I think you can't say there's anybody who has seen everything, but if there is someone walking the earth as, as a manager who has pretty much seen the most, it's him. And, and I, you know, Rentary was in a tough spot with the rotation when they got to the playoffs last year, so it's not all on him. But uh, I, I do feel like this coaching staff it'll be, will be better prepared for whatever comes their way uh, this year as opposed to last year. My next question is about the younger guys. So obviously the White Sox, added more veterans, the core of the team are veterans or guys that are soon to be veterans. But the most intriguing thing for this White Sox team, in my opinion, is where the young guys are going to fit in. With Nick Madrigal at second base, uh, Andrew Vaughn could be the designated hitter on opening day. And my big question is, where do Eric Crochet and Michael Kopech fit into the current roster as it stands right now? Well, they're slotted in for the bullpen. And that's where that's going to it's going to remain that way, maybe for the whole season. We'll see what happens with Kopech, but there, you know, Kopech hasn't pitched in a major league game in three years. He's pitched one inning, period, and that was in spring training last year. So uh, they're starting him off slowly out, out of the bullpen um, with the major league club, and then Crochet is kind of being kind of going to be on the same track where uh, they might pitch multiple innings games because uh, they do want to stretch them out because they are deemed future starters. And then you've got you know, Vaughn and Madrigal. And I actually like that when we're talking about Vaughn and Madrigal, they are young, but they're very mature, not just like in the way that they carry themselves, but their baseball maturity. So they, they are unfazed by the moment. They're unfazed by the idea that they're going to be on a team trying to make the playoffs. Now, I will say that Madrigals did struggle with some mental errors in the playoffs last year, uh, but I think he'll learn from that. 
And I, if you're going to handpick two guys to be on this team and make a difference as rookies, those are two pretty good guys to have. Yeah, first of all, good luck to opposing hitters having to face Crochet and Kopech, possibly in back-to-back innings or something like that. I mean, you, who knows? the create? You know, Rick mentioned creativity in his opening press conference at spring training. And, I mean, I, I'm trying to be creative in how I would draw those guys up and how I would use them. And, like, they're endless. They're really endless. The White Sox are just – there are so many teams in baseball that are sitting there going, man, oh, man, like, what – what would we do to have Kopech and Crochet in the rotation, let alone to be in a spot where you feel comfortable enough with your rotation that you can get these guys innings and know the impact they could make in your bullpen for a team that has World Series expectations and realistic World Series expectations. So, you know, this is not some kind of new phenomenon either. There have been several teams over the last 15 or 20 years that have had a young guy that has been a projected starter that they've brought up, you know, halfway through the season, let him play in the plug him and play him in the bullpen. He's had a great October. And then all of a sudden you see him in the rotation in future years. That's no different here. It's just the White Sox are in a great position to be able to have a lights out bullpen. We know they're back into the rotation has some question marks, but you know, Michael Kopech is not necessarily ready to slide in there. You know, and what Chuck said about, you know, the young guys like Madrigal and Vaughn, these are guys you don't have to have high expectations for. You can you can let a growing pain set in. You yeah. can let them struggle and let the other let the big boxers you have high expectations for do what they're supposed to do, and it and it kind of masks an 0 for four from one of those guys or a big error in the third inning from from one of those guys. So that's exactly the type of situation that you want to be in. If you remember over the past four or five years, the White Sox they'd bring up Yoan Mankata, and that was such a spectacle. And then Michael Kopech Day was such a spectacle. There was so much expected of these guys. And now these guys are all here together to, to try to uh, go after this exact same goal. And so, you know, there's got to be growing pace. Luis Roberts in year two. Eloy Jimenez is only in year three. Like, all of these guys, in essence, are young. You just you kind of forget the fact that, like, Eloy is a young veteran at this point. You know what? I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm sitting here shaking my head when, when, when Chuck was talking. I was like, oh, my gosh. When you have so much talent on the, a team like this, you can make mistakes. The young guys, two things tend to happen. The, the spotlight is bright, but not as bright on them, and their mistakes are not as glaring if you don't yep. have that supporting cast. And the other thing is they tend to develop quicker because they're surrounded by so much talent. So I that's what I was thinking with those guys. But along these same lines, I got to ask you guys, because I'm not around the team, with so many personalities, I mean, you look at all the great teams in Chicago, 85 Bears, uh, uh, 2010 Blackhawks, um, even the 2016 Cubs, you know, the, the Bulls. Oh, my gosh, you can't t- you know, talk about the Jordan era with the Bulls. So many big personalities. Back to our conversation with Chuck Garfine and Ryan McGuffey in just a moment. But first, have you ever dealt with bunions? I have. It got to the point that I couldn't even wear any shoes without having shooting pain. Even at night, I couldn't even pull the covers over my foot. It hurt so bad. It didn't matter if I was wearing slippers or boots, gym shoes working out, or heels for a night out. The pain was intolerable. I finally decided to do something about it. 
That's when I heard about Foot First Podiatry and their exclusive procedure, the Sklar Bunionectomy. It has you on your feet the day after surgery. Are you kidding? Well, I had to see it to believe it. And you know what? They were right. Surgery was easy. I am so glad I did it. I walked out of surgery in a boot, no cast, no crutches, walking the same day. And you can be back in a gym shoe in two weeks. When I look at my foot now, there's no visual scar. And best of all, I am pain-free. So ladies and guys, don't walk around in pain like I did for years. Visit footfirst.com. And now, back to our White Sox Talk podcast hosts, Ryan McGuffey, Chuck Garfine, joining us on the Sportscaster and her son. So many big personalities. You guys both got to give me your favorite stories that we haven't heard Mm. about a player that makes you laugh. Like when you guys are going out after a day of covering the White Sox and when the bars are open again and everyone can sit around, you know, swapping their stories, what is your story that you're going to tell people that is your favorite story that I might not know about one of these guys? Oh, man. Well, well, let me just let me begin by this, and I'm 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 trying to um, not procrastinate. I'm trying to come up with a story, but that, I do that want to you say can that actually it, share. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit. Of, not really that, but what, what I really wanted to say is that like it, it, this is not anything like Sox fans are going to love watching this team and love the personalities. From our point of view and from our perspective, the pandemic stinks. Yep. Because we, as the media, are so limited to really show these personalities like we normally do. Like last year, oh, yeah. we went and we went to, before the pandemic, we took Lucas Giolito, Dylan Steves, Nick Madrigal, and um, Zach Birdie to Dave and Buster's, and they competed <laughs> against each other. And they showed all their crazy, quirky personalities in competition with each other and their love for each other, and it was great. And, you know, we can do stuff like that in spring training. But this year it is because of the pandemic, you know, mm. I've got one hand or sometimes both hands tied behind my back because the access because of the pandemic isn't there. So you're going to see flashes of the personalities, certainly during the games. But we in the media are a little limited for now to really show a lot of that personality because it's all there. But, like, like we don't even have a camera here like to show this stuff. The camera that we have right now from our channel is my iPhone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So well, I mean, a little different. Uh, I'll say this, Peggy. So, like, this one hurts because, because of what Chuck said. I feel like we put in so much work with this rebuild to get to this point, to have this access, to watch these guys get to this point, and to, and to kind of have it all be just flatlined with, uh, with, with Zooms and just, you know, Look, the, the pandemic has been awful. This is not, this is like first world problems to complain about media access in, in the pandemic. So, but I'll, I'll say like my favorite part about this whole thing about these guys in particular, and you're right, like the personalities are at a 10 for the, for, for the most part, is that we've got to do some really cool stuff along the way. And like, in, in essence, kind of grown up with these guys and watch them get to this point where their personalities have become such a story. You know, Tim Anderson, Five years ago, you had a hundred to one odds that he would be the team's, you know, that he would be the straw that stirs the drink of the team. He just, he didn't talk to anybody. He was quiet. You know, when you did interview him, Chuck, what did he give you? Eight to 10 words. And now the guy's out there giving you money quote after money quote after money quote. But I mean, to go to the Dominican Republic with the, with the entire, 
the entire group and to see these guys off the field, to see how much they care about each other, to see how much to, to really get to know the, the, the person, you know, to do a deep dive in the, in the minor leagues and really kind of see what makes these guys tick to kind of feel like where you, where you can understand this personality a lot more than maybe you just see on the field from, you know, in the clubhouse for the one hour of access and then after the game and on the field. Like that to me, no matter what, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, when this whole like window is done and this group becomes hopefully a very talked about group in Chicago sports history. Like those will be the things I remember. They're stories for sure, but it's more about, the experiences like we've shared, like Chuck's had some, I've had some, we've had some together, we've had some separate. And I mean, I think it's safe to say, you know, I pinch myself probably a little bit more now because when you're in it, Peggy, you know this, you definitely take it for granted. And then when it's gone or taken away from you, you know, you, you, you take a step back and really get an appreciation for, uh, for some of the things you've done and some of the guys you've met along the way. Yeah, so one of my favorite things I've been able to do is it was uh, 2019, and it was going to be Aloy Jimenez's first game at Wrigley. And so I'm like, okay, well, we're going to drive Aloy Jimenez from Guaranteed Rate Field to Wrigley. I remember this. So (laughs) we got in my car, Gus was there, and I'm interviewing him on the drive. And, you know, you drop them off, the story turned out great, and you're thinking, okay, that was awesome. That's good enough. I don't need anything more than that. And then the game happens. (laughs) And he gets the game-winning home run in the night. And the game was on our channel, but it was the Cubs call. So it was Len and J.D. And they they, they had to wear it. They had to wear the fact. Yep. This former Cub prospect traded for Jose Quintana, hits a game-winning home run, and then and then during the broadcast, they come to me, and I'm, like, doing this sideline report saying that I drove with Aloy Jimenez to Wrigley Field. And, like, literally in, like, the call or maybe in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the goodbye, like, Len and J.D., I think J.D. says something like, you know, I don't want to yep. be driving Aloy Jimenez to ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he said something. I think Giolito might have been pitching the next day, and he was like, you know, like, let's make sure that Chuck's not bringing Giolito to the ballpark tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, you realize it took 16 minutes of us talking about the White Sox before Tim Anderson's name even came up. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. I, I could sit here and talk about them forever because there is just so many great stories. Jason, you want to throw one last one out there before we wrap it up um, and, and give these guys back their time? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, my last question would be looking past this season. Because we already mentioned World Series with Boston, so at least the mentality of the team. Realistically, how big of a window do you think there is with the White Sox? As now we mm. see the Cubs window closing and the Astros window closing. How big of a window do you think we could be looking at? Um, well, I would say, I mean, it's tough to really narrow it down, but I hear, I, I get your question. What helps the White Sox is that a lot of these guys are locked into long-term deals. Yeah. Uh, you know, unlike the Cubs, the Cubs, I think, tried to get these guys to accept long-term deals after the World Series, and they all said no. All the players, you know, I, I'm not, and I'm not, I mean, I've, I've heard that some of them were some pretty lucrative offers, but I, I'm not sure about all of them. But from the White Sox side of things, you know, I, I think that helps that they're young, 
a lot of them are locked into, I mean, we're talking Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Joe Mancada, Tim Anderson, even like Aaron Bummer. Uh, Giolito, that is going to be a, a, something to watch. I'm not sure if he, if he doesn't sign an extension, he could hit free agency and, and ask for a lot of money. So that's the one guy to watch. But, you know, how many years is it going to be? I can't say, but, I mean, you're looking at a good four or five years at least where, I mean, I was talking to Giolito a couple of days ago, and he said, like, for right now, I mean, for now, for this time that you're describing, that you're asking about, I mean, it's playoffs, expectations. And, I mean, make the playoffs at least and then contend for the World Series every year for however long this window is. I think you could easily say five years, and hopefully it's longer than that. Seven sounds good to me. Yeah, I was going to say five. I, I, I think five. I mean, you – it's incredible. If you really look at – do a deep dive of this entire roster and look when guys are up for free agency, half the team after 2025. I mean, think about that. 2025, that's one, two, three, four. That's five years right there. Some of the guys who are coming off the books in the next two to three years are guys who probably – want to come off of the books in the next two or three years just because of age. It doesn't mean that they won't, you know, Dallas Keuchel will eventually be that guy. Jose Abreu has two more years. You know, we'll see where he's at then. And then you have, like, think about even the guys that are like Jose Abreu, MVP. Who do you have behind him? Oh, Andrew Vaughn. I mean, they have guys to back up the guys Mm -hmm. who are going to not be at the back end of the window. I guarantee you, like, Theo is looking at what the situation here is with the White Sox going. It's everything that they wanted to build but for whatever reason, they couldn't get these guys locked up. And it's definitely you know what, Jeff? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I, 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 I think part of the reason, I think the biggest reason, this is my theory, the biggest reason why the Cubs' window closed so fast is that it opened too fast. Because I don't, I don't, they won a don't, World Series. Because they I don't won know that about world, that. No, the reason why I say that is because I think they, they, when they won that World Series and then they went to them and said, hey, you want to sign long-term extensions, I think all those players were like, no, i got so much more to prove. I'm going to end up making more money. So I'm Two things happened. Two things happened. Because, first <laughs> of all, all those offers should have been handed out after 2015 when they went to the NLCS, and it was very clear that the team was ready to take that leap. They did go to a couple of those guys after 2015. A lot of people told they're wearing a Cubs uniform, which carries so much weight. There's a lot of people that look. A lot of told a lot of people told the Cubs players, whether it's agents, family, friends, people within the game, you know, fat and happy, fat and happy, fat and happy. They got fat and happy too soon, and it backfired on pretty much every single one of those guys. That's what and, I mean. Yeah. So that's <laughs> but it wasn't. But you said to go go to them after the World Series. They well, well these guys they had too much. They had too much success too soon. That's maybe I should have said that. Sure. Okay. Which is bad. <laughs> I mean, really, they want to work. You know what, with the hell with the, the hell with the Cubs. We're talking about the White yeah. Sox window. Yeah. So Jason's Sorry. question was how many? How many years? I think five is. Uh, I think the window is wide open and locked open for through 2025, and then from there, let's see. But I think it's conceivable to say five to seven. I think it's fair to say that the White Sox should be World Series contenders, not AL Central contenders, World Series contenders from now through 2025. Oh, my gosh. Good. 
This is what you can hear on the White Sox Talk podcast. It's Chuck Garfine and Ryan McGuffey. Uh, my guys, you guys are the best. And you just made Jason's day because we talked White Sox baseball <laughs> for over a half an hour. So <laughs> it's like, hey, you guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely, Peggy. It's so good to hear your voice. Uh, Thanks, Jason. Thank y'all so much. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, something tells me we're going to talk a lot about the White Sox this year. I mean, it's just up and down. Don't we always at home? <laughs> I know. I know. I know. All right, Jason, how about your predictions? All right, my predictions. So I know that this episode, the focus was the White Sox. So I am going to throw a little curveball here. My first prediction will be Cubs-based. I'm going to say that the Cubs lose 90 games this year. I'm going to say that two of the following players will be traded at the deadline. Wilson Contreras, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez. Cubs have absolutely no money to spend. They have expired. They have aging veterans who had horrible years last year, and they have the most important thing in baseball, which they do not have, is pitching. It's Kyle Hendricks and a bunch of guys who wouldn't even be, who wouldn't make the White Sox rotation, amazingly enough. So I think the Cubs lose 90-plus games this year. I think that their luck has kind of run out. The run was as magical as ever, and it's kind of cool to experience, but move over because the White Sox are going to run this city for, for a long, long time. Prediction number two. So for my second prediction, March is coming up, my favorite time of the year. Last year I was crushed, heartbroken, disgusted, et cetera, when the tournament was canceled. So I'm going to go out of my way to enjoy it this year, and I've already been, you know, I watch college basketball all the time, but I've been reading up on a lot of teams and doing my research, and I'm a big bracketology kind of guy. So uh, my prediction is that I think we're going to see a 15-seed upset of two-seed this year. Um, seems like every other year there's one of those huge upsets in college basketball. I think this will be the year. I think that the four one seeds, whether it be for sure Gonzaga and Baylor and then a mix of Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, I think that they'll all be safe. But once you get past those top five or six teams, there's a massive drop-off. And you could be seeing some teams that are two seeds, such as Houston or Alabama or Oklahoma, who obviously they're great teams because they're two seeds, but they have played some pretty bad teams close. Houston lost to Eastern Carolina, who had like a 20-something game conference losing streak just a couple weeks ago. So I think that this is a year when we are going to see a – powerhouse team in college basketball go down in the first round. So that's my major prediction for college basketball. Obviously, we'll talk more about it as it comes up, but just kind of planting the seeds for my uh, be able to stake my claim that I called it before anyone else did. Uh, uh, okay, and now a final prediction. Anything that's non-sports related, or are you going to go all sports this time? Oh, I'm going to go all sports this time, okay. as I typically do. Um, and I'm going to say that the... Chicago Bears quarterback. We talked about this earlier, and between uh, the, that last episode talking about the Bears um, and their quarterback situation, and now Carson Wentz has gone to uh, Indianapolis, so that takes a major target off the board for the Bears. I'm sure everyone's really wondering like who they're going to get. I'm just going to say right now, the Chicago Bears week one starting quarterback will be somebody who did not start a game last season. Oh. So. This means that they are either going to bring in a backup, such as Jameis Winston, or a draft pick, such as Mac Jones. So this is a very open-ended prediction, Mm. yet a pretty bold prediction. So either a backup or somebody who was hurt, 
four draft picks. I do like the idea that they're going to try to couple something with a, maybe a three-team deal to be able to move up in the draft because they don't have enough collateral right now. But Absolutely. You know, I hope you're right, Jason. Okay, here's my final thoughts. You know, you can't be a Sox fan and a Cub fan. Can I tell you how many times I have heard that in my lifetime? It drives me crazy. Why? Well, because you can't. That's what everyone says. It never made sense to me. So my dad grew up on the northwest side, and his dad, my grandpa Kaczynski, never missed a Cubs game sitting in his reclining chair. My mom grew up on the northwest side, near northwest side, off of one of the K streets, Kedvale Avenue. Her dad, my grandpa Scholes, was a huge Sox fan. He worked for the CTA for years, a union guy, hard-nosed, tough-talking. We would go to Sox games on ladies' night. I might be wrong, but I want to say that they were on Tuesday nights once a month. Um, it was cheap. My dad always brought Cracker Jack to the games, so we didn't have to buy any. My mom is the one that kept score every single game, and that's how I learned all about baseball. I don't really remember many of the players back then. It was really about the experience of going to games with my family. That's really what I remember. And the smell of old Comiskey Park, parking underneath the L tracks, buying a scorecard, and then watching the game really with my mom. A few years later when I was a teenager, it was much cooler to go to Cubs games because we could go alone on the bus. We couldn't do that really for the Sox all the way from the Northwest side. So I did love the Sox uniforms though. Even if they looked like they should have been playing softball with us at Dunham Park, I loved the White Sox. Years later, I joined the world of sports reporting, and I had to cover the Sox and the Cubs, and the divide was so apparent. The Sox were the ugly stepchild. The Cubs were in the hip northwest side neighborhood. That's when I really started to like the Sox. I loved the idea of the underdog team, even if they were considered the other guys in town. And then Ozzie Guillen was hired as manager, and well, they became one of my favorite teams to cover just because he was an absolute riot, and you always had a soundbite from him. So I am here to say, Jason, I know you don't like to hear this, but it is possible to be from Chicago and to be bisexual. Yep a Sox fan, and a Cubs fan. My Russell confided you that term, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Our thanks go to Chuck Garfine and Ryan McGuffey of the White Sox Talk podcast. Heard wherever you get your podcast audio. You can follow Chuck on NBC Sports Chicago's White Sox broadcast and on Twitter at Chuck Garfine. And uh, Guff is behind the scenes at NBC Sports Chicago, producing some of the best White Sox content you will find. He's also on Twitter at Ryan McGuffey. And how about thanks to Adam Yaffe, a new year, the same professional expertise as he has always given us in guiding the show. Our thanks also to Eldo and the Barroom Network. Check us out there on Podbean and wherever you get your audio. And do not forget that you can find the podcast website at thesportscasterandherson.com and on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, too. 
You know what, Jason? I think I'll post a picture of my grandpa Scholes, the White Sox fan. He has some great old baseball pictures. I'll, 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 he actually played against Satchel Paige in these industrial baseball leagues. So I think I'll we'll put that up on the sports uh, the sportscaster and her son.com and um, on Facebook and Twitter too. So thank you, everyone. Remember to download, subscribe, rate our podcast on Apple Podbean, Google Podcasts, wherever you may listen. Thank you to our 15,000 plus listens and downloads and counting. Stay safe, Jason. Goodbye, everybody. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, electrically connecting our world. And by Foot First Podiatry. It's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No visual scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. Visit footfirst.com.